0: where we are looking today. In Isaiah chapter number 6, beginning verse number 1. It says these words, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. of hosts one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and he said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and this is the word of the lord for us this morning we have been attempting to look at some of the Attributes of God trying to define a little bit of who God is. We've talked about His sovereignty, His justice, His mercy. But today, of course, we want to consider the attribute, the characteristic that God is defined as most in the Bible, which is His holiness. The truth that God is holy is indeed mentioned more than any other attribute in the Bible. Nowhere does it mention that God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Nowhere does it mention that God is love, love, love. Nowhere does it mention that God is just, just, just again as we see here in Isaiah chapter 6 and other scriptures. But... This is one of the many references where we read that God is holy. Not just holy one time, but three times repeated, the thrice holy God, if you will. The Bible is full of references to God's holiness. This attribute is characteristic. Consider with me, not just here in Isaiah, but Revelation chapter 15. It says these words, "Who will not fear, O Lord? Glorify Your name, for You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship You, for Your righteous acts have been revealed." Exodus chapter fifteen, verse eleven. Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing? Wonders. It is true the God we serve is many things. He is powerful. He is all knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He is just. He is kind. He is gracious. But most of all, He is holy. He is a holy, holy God and we really take time to understand the holiness of God, our lives will be changed and different in light of who He is and who we are. And so, first of all, let us consider this morning and try to to gain a proper understanding. A proper understanding of, of God's holiness. You know, one of the problems we have with God's holiness is that we tend to think of it in human terms or forms. We think that there can be gradations of holiness, levels of holiness, if you would, levels like we have and we do in our society. We would say at the bottom of our holiness list, our holiness period, pyramid, I should say, is somebody like Adolf Hitler, certainly, That is maybe the most unholy person we could think of. We have our serial murders, our pedophiles, and others that we would put at the bottom of this list. And then we have, you know, our minimum security criminals, if you would, jaywalkers, our petty thieves. People that are not that bad, and then we have our our normal people who you know certainly aren't perfect by any stretch, but for the most part, we don't look at them as whatever. and somehow in the list of our people, our grades of holiness, if you would, we have people like Mother Teresa others and we oh if there's ever a holy person certainly it would be somewhere along her lines and you know God is is he's he's just a step or two above somebody like a mother Teresa somebody like a a wonderful saint that we might think of but you see God's holiness is not an ethical standard or some sort of Level that we can look at or we can attempt to attain to. God's holiness is so much greater. His, His holiness is His very nature, His very character. The thing that separates Him from you and I and all of creation is the fact that God is indeed holy, separate, distinct. The word theologians use is the word transcendent that is the attribute of god that refers to being wholly and distinctly separate from creation okay god is not at all like what we are he is totally separate even though he is always actively involved with them the declaration that God is transcendent means that God is above the world and He comes to creation from beyond the world. In other words, He is entirely distinct and separate from us as creation. And so, holiness, then, as you can see here on the screens behind me, is the characteristic of God that sets him apart from his creation God is a holy God and in explaining and defining him in that way it sets him apart totally from you and I Percy Sproul wrote a book the entire the holiness of God which goes much more detailed than what we can this morning. But in it, he says the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. When we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that has a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest means the one who is holy is uniquely holy. He has no rival or competition. And when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate from us. He is so far above and beyond us that He seems to be totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a very special way. The same basic meaning is used when the word holy is applied even to earthly things. So God may call us His holy ones, which means we are separate, we are distinct, and yet not in the same category or class as what God is. God's holiness involves both His moral purity, His distinction, from His creation. And when you think about this, and you consider God's holiness, you, you can consider several different things. Consider, of course, His majesty. His majesty. We read that verse already in Exodus 15, but, but it says, Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders we see majesty in our country and other countries where they have a king or a queen certainly more than our own but even in our own in a recent presidential inauguration you see at least this year a watered-down version of pomp and circumstance and and majesty but, but nothing And all of earth, among all the kings of the earth, among all the sovereigns here in this world, compares to the majesty of our God. This is what Isaiah saw in this vision. The year the king Uzziah died. It's not ironic that Isaiah sees this vision when the king of Israel is dead. And yet God is reminding him, He is on the throne, and He has not abandoned His throne. The year the King Uzziah died, I see saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. They covered their face with two. They covered their feet. And with two they flew, and one called to another. And they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Fost, the whole earth is full of his glory. Foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. A houseless field. A smoke, a scene of majesty. He said that you'll never see 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. You'll never see in Westminster Abbey. Abbey, you'll never see in any of the the great places, the majestic places here on earth. None of that compares. majesty of the one who is sitting on high. The story was told that Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, allegedly did not want to be seen in the Oval Office without a suit jacket on. Trying to show respect, trying to convey respect for the majesty of that office. And certainly, none of us, when we go to the White House, would never just go in our shorts and flip-flops. And yet, the Oval Office is not unlike our office at work or at church. It's a lot more expensive, I get it. Carpet's a lot more plush, I'm sure. The she rock is a lot better. But yet, lights, air conditioning, and heating. And yet, the majesty of God in His throne and in His place of worship. Nothing is like what Isaiah sees in this scenario. Nothing. We can even imagine compares to what Isaiah saw. You know, the Bible obviously commonly uses repetition to try to make a point to emphasize a truth. When you read the words pure gold, it's not telling us that there is such a thing as impure gold or whatever. But yet, it's talking about gold, gold, if you would, in the Hebrew. That's literally what it says. Now, we don't talk like that in English, and so we try to substitute one of the words gold for pure gold. But yet, the Bible is emphasizing the beauty, the purity, the majesty of the gold. And so it is when you see that Isaiah hears the angel saying, Holy, Holy Holy. Understand in the Hebrew Bible, equality is raised not just through the power of two, but to the power of three. And He is telling us that divine holiness is so far beyond anything our mind can grasp that a super superlative has to be invented to express it. And furthermore, that this transcendent holiness is the total truth about God. Isaiah sees the angels talking about the thrice holy God, the one who is holy far beyond what we can see. So you consider his majesty, and it's just one aspect. Think about his personality, his will. Think about his character, his nature. We read in Exodus 20, verse 5, that we should not bow down to idols or serve them. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we read those words, I am a jealous God, in it. Makes us stop and think and consider. What do you mean God is jealous? Because we have an idea in our mind of what jealousy is, right? Jealousy is that child who doesn't have the second piece of candy and so he steals it from somebody. Jealousy is what we see on Jerry Springer, all these other trash shows where you see all this fighting and bickering. Going on, How can God be a, a jealous God? Don't we equate jealousy with immortal traits, immoral traits, I should say? Don't we tell those in our lives not to live in jealousy of one another? But the reality is, God is not jealous in the way we are. He is not full of vindictive pettiness, angry over the simplest little vices and actions. And that's what makes Him distinct what we are, Read God is angry, and yet our anger is manifested and somebody cuts us off on Route 33 and we start chasing him and honking not that I would ever do that, but I'm just saying, that's our anger, right? our anger is, is somebody cut in line, a giant, Nerve of them with 12 items and the 10 items or less line. God's anger is totally pure. Righteously angry as sin. Righteously angry at those who rebel against Him. Never in a way. Again, I might have to go to my wife or my child and say, I'm sorry I lashed out in anger. Not that I do that except every other day it seems like. God's angry anger is totally vindicated. Why? Because He is distinct. He's separate. He's not like you and I. His majesty cannot be built with man's hands. His glory cannot be compared with any glory on earth. His righteous attributes, His anger, His jealousy, His love is not at all Like us. And so we see what God's holiness is. But then we ask, how does God's holiness affect us? How does God's holiness affect us? We know that God is a holy God. But yet we ask, what, what kind of impact does it have on us as human beings? Is it merely a singing of a worship set that uses the word holy and we kind of lump them all together? Is God's holiness a manner of living a certain way, of embracing an Amish lifestyle before God? Actually, we look again here at this text this morning and we see how God's holiness affects us. Because what happens when Isaiah sees the holy God seated upon His throne. Verse 5 says, And I said, Woe is me. Woe is me, for I, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, the true response to the holiness of God is that we realize, we recognize how sinful we are. How God's holiness affects us is that when we see Him for who He truly is, it makes us realize how unholy we are. Isaiah says, I see the Lord high and lifted up, and the first words of my mouth, out of my mouth is, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a sinner. I have unclean lips. I am undone. Isaiah is not silent in the following verses. He openly confesses his sin, and he recognizes that the consequences of his sinfulness will be his own destruction When Isaiah says I have unclean lips he is seeming to represent the expressions of a sinful heart that is not pure before God Psalm 15 tells us that one of the prerequisites of entering into the presence of God is one who speaks the truth from his heart and Isaiah is realizing just how desperately wicked as Jeremiah says, the heart is how deceitful it becomes. And Dare I say, this is what is wrong with these heaven tourism books that became popular six or seven years ago and now have kind of faded from memory. Most of them having been exposed as not being true. When you, when you have people talk about visiting heaven, They talk about the idea that them and God are just kind of hanging out on the swing set or hanging out in the park or doing whatever and it's like me and my buddy or whatever. There's something wrong with this vision. Something wrong with it. Because when you look in Scripture, everyone that sees God finds themselves on their face before Him crying out, I think I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Have mercy on me, God. Because they realize sinful and wicked they are. You think about Samson's parents when they were told that they were going to have a child named Samson. Samson's father was was crying out when the angel of God goes up in the sacrifice. He thinks I'm going to die. When, When Jacob, when he sees his ladder and the angels of God descending... God has had mercy on my life and has spared me. This is the house of God. I have seen God face to face and I live. John the Revelator sees the Lord and he falls on his face as one who is dead. You see, God's holiness stands in sharp contrast to who you and I are. He is pure and perfect. He is so unblemished. And when I look at him, I see who I am, and I am a sinful, wicked, wretched person. You see, that's bad news. And if we were to leave it there, We'd walk out this morning and we'd say, who can stand before God? And that's the truth. None of us can, but it's not just that God is holy. He is, and His holiness is what causes us to see our sinfulness. God realizes that truth, that fact, and instead of leaving us in our sinfulness, God has provided a way us to escape the wrath and judgment that we so rightly deserve. Look at what happens to Isaiah here in verses 6 and 7. He says, I am undone. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm lost. I, I deserve the judgment of God. But look at what happens. One of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched the mouth of Isaiah and he said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for Isaiah sees his wickedness he recognizes his sinfulness in the light of God's holiness and yet God does not leave him alone God does not leave him without any help God does not leave him lost and trapped in this sin. The angel takes the coal of fire and touches the lips of Isaiah and says, you are holy. You are cleansed. Your guilt is removed. Your sin is God. You are clean. Now, if you're new to church here, let me just put your heart at ease. We don't have a fire pit out back in our church ready to put a burning coal on your lips. We don't have that. But what we do have is the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of the gospel. We have the fact that this holy God, this one who dwells in unapproachable light, not only is holy, but He is so full of love for us that He sent His only begotten Son to live on this earth as a man and Jesus Christ the Holy One of Heaven the One in which the angels around the throne cry holy, holy, holy comes down upon this earth and becomes sin on our behalf so that we might become His righteousness and God's holiness might be implanted to us imparted to us I should say You see, we are not able to approach the holiness of God because of our sin. God comes to us. The person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7 says this, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Aaron served and sacrificed, but Aaron ultimately passed away. His son served, sacrificed, but ultimately passed away. But Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, and lived on this earth as a man, lived a holy, sinless life. He never got mad at his next-door neighbor. He never got mad at his fellow classmates. He never had an impure thought against a young lady. He never spoke out a wrong and violent and angry way. Because of that, we can come to Him, not receiving a coal of fire upon our lips, but receiving the gift of the cross, receiving the mercy of God. And when we did that, our sins, our shame, and our sorrow is nailed to the cross, and we walk away from God forgiven. And we who are full of sin are now Considered pure and holy before God. And God looks at our lives and He says, What sin? What shame? What wrong have you done? All I see is the blood of my my Son applied to your heart, and I consider you holy and clean before Me. If you remember when Jesus died on the cross... Matthew 27, verse 50, we're told Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Why did this happen? Well, we know what happened. Moses was told by God, you can only have the high priest go into the most holy place. And he can go once a year. And around his ankles was tied a rope. And that priest entered the sacred place. And he was not properly cleansed, not properly pure. dead and he would be dragged out because of the sin in his life the Bible tells us here when, when Christ paid the dead for our sin the veil was torn and now you and I no longer with the high priest but by ourselves can go to the presence of God and we can see the Holy God through the blood of Jesus Christ who gave him himself On our behalf, we can have His holiness upon our lives because of the fact that our sins have been paid, have been paid in full. And when we accept the gift of eternal life, we become holy in the sight of God. We take His holiness upon us. And so we see the holiness of God. We see how it affects us. Let us consider finally how we should live how we should live considering God's holy nature. And there's two things to think about. First of all, we must understand that we can never, never become holy on our own. You can't do it. This is what you and I need to realize Perhaps some of you, maybe more so than others, you can't, you can't live a good enough life. You can't live perfect enough to achieve a holy standard in your life. And Unfortunately, some of us have been raised in a context We've been brought up in a fundamentalist context where we're told if you are going to be a Christian, this is how you have to live, and this is how you have to dress, and this is what you have to do. And if you don't do these things, then you might not be a Christian. Unfortunately, that is not. Scripture tells us because we can live that way all of our lives. Truth is, we will never, ever be holy enough for God. Isaiah, the same one who saw this vision later in his book, said these words in Isaiah 64, verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Everything good you do. I mean, tell you, I'm never going to smoke. I'm never going to cuss. I'm never going to be around somebody who does that. I'm never going to do this or that or the other. God looks at you and says, it's nothing more than a filthy, dirty, polluted garment. So Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, he says, Verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. The sin that dwells within me you see, if we're not careful, we think. That if I just act and order my life in a certain way, then surely God will accept me, then surely I will meet His standards. Surely I will become holy in His sight. And so we look at ourselves and maybe as men we, we say, well, I want to be holy in the sight of God, so I'm going to put filters on my computer so I can't look at any impure website." I'm going to put filters on my smartphone or even get rid of it and go back to a flip phone. You see, you can have all of these things on your life, and I'm not saying they're bad. I have them on my own computer and on my own phone and whatever else. They're certainly good, but, but, but it doesn't deal with the problem of the hearts. I can go hide myself in the Poconos where nobody can find me there will still be in my heart a raging lust and passion. I cannot do this on my own. What I need is the blood of Jesus Christ upon my life, cleansing me from this sin, setting me free. So I want to challenge you, encourage you to stop thinking that if I just get up and do better, I will be accepted and loved in the sight of God. No, it will never work. And yet we can never become holy on our own, and yet we must pursue. We must pursue a holy life. So here I am, I'm going to contradict myself. We must, as believers, pursue a holy life. 1 Peter 1, verse 16, it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us... cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of god say how can i be pursue a holy life if you told me it's no good and that's the key it's not us that pursues this life But it is us as we allow the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ to to work in our lives. As we pursue Christ and we fall in love with Him. As we begin as believers to pursue Him and to make Him preeminent in our lives. Guess what we find? We find the grace of God changing, transforming taking away the filthiness of the flesh. We find ourselves becoming holy and pure in His sights. And as the old song that we used to sing says so well, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. We look full in His wonderful face. Guess what happens? The things of this world go strangely dim the desire for the things of this world just lose its grip on us because all we want is Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. So if you're here this morning, You've been struggling with sin in your life. You've been struggling with something that's tripping you up. You know that you're living in a way you should not try to live. Yes, maybe you need to take steps. Like I said, maybe you need to put filters on your computer. Maybe you need to take the wine or whatever and dump it out. Maybe you need to change jobs or do whatever. But what you need to do most of all to have your life transformed by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Surrender yourself to Him. Let Him come into your heart. Fill your mind not with what's on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. Fill your mind with His Word. Fill your mind not with what's on Fox News or CNN. Fill your mind with songs of worship and praise. Begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you will find... A life that is pure and holy before God. This is a journey that will go throughout all the days of our life. As we pursue Him, as we seek Him, as we come and we look for Him, we will find His grace coming into our lives. And when we stand before God, Revelation 19, verse 17, 7 and 8 gives us such hope. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is the good news of the cross. We pursue Him and one day we're going to stand before Him and all of these things that trip us up, all of these things that cause us to fall short, all of these things that cause us to stumble time and time again, will be gone and He will look at us and we will be dressed in the beautiful, pure and bright clothes of His righteousness we will stand before him complete as we all sing worthy, holy glory to you the son of God who has made us your treasure you have made us pure and clean in your blood so this morning challenge you not to take the holiness of God lightly I challenge you not to esteem the fact that He is holy lightly. I also challenge you to allow His grace and His cross to come into your life. To forgive you and to change you and to transform you into His image. And I can think this morning of no better place than here at the table of the Lord receiving a communion where we come before God and we allow Him to come into our lives and we receive of His blood and His body. Paul says, let us examine ourselves and then let us drink in a worthy manner. This morning, perhaps you might need to examine your life and realize that you're falling short of God's glory, but as you do that, don't just stand there condemned. Allow His blood to wash you clean. Allow His body to bring healing to you. Allow the cross to make you a new creation once again. And so worship team, why don't you come this morning and ushers, why don't you get ready? Let's pray as we prepare to receive from His table this morning. Father, we know that You are a holy God. We know that we cannot stand before You on our own. But God, we also know that You have provided a way. You have provided hope. You have provided the cross and the death and the sacrifice of Your Son. By your blood you have cleansed us and set us free. So God, we reach out to you this morning. We pray let your grace come and wash over us. Come and set us free. Come and cleanse our lives. Come and make us new. Lord, as we receive elements this morning, we receive them and we pray come. Thank you, God, for tearing the veil. Thank you for making a way when you said that it is done. We Thank you for paying the price for our sins. challenge you here this morning. Let His grace come into your life again. Feel His forgiveness and His mercy. Let Him begin to make the change that you need in your heart and your soul. Lord, do it in our hearts and our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, why don't you come, worship team, let's sing this morning.